And welcome back to another episode of the Fit Method Podcast. I'm your host, David Lohman. Returning with me is Gary Ross and TJ Mentis. This is our September Q&A episode. How are you guys doing today? Doing well. Nice fall weather coming outside a little bit and uh, crisp. Crisp is a great adjective. Yeah. yeah it's very nice outside. It's perfect. When it's like you can go for a walk and not be in a downpour sweat. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that was nice. I went for a walk after lunch. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm not soaked today. Best time of the year. My favorite, <laughs> at least my favorite time of the year for sure. Get to wear joggers again. There yeah, no. always a good time of year. Tight joggers. Some sweatpants, hoodies. Okay, well, we got like six questions. We'll see if we can get through it all today. Um, there, these are some good questions, though. So Intense, yeah. Uh, all right, so first question. How does an individual's age impact their approach to sports performance and post-rehabilitation? And the follow-up is what considerations should be made for different age demographics? It's a phenomenal question. So full disclosure, um, my other podcast attendees today read the questions in detail, took notes, and are very well prepared. I'm going to riff just to have a different flavor to it. I'm just going to riff off the top of my head. So age, what do we have to consider when it comes to... So we we want to talk about sports performance first or post-rehab or either or. You can go sports performance first. So let's talk about sports performance. A couple of things happen as we age. If we don't train, um, we lose our power output. The posterior capsule of our shoulder gets tighter and other parts of our body get tighter. Um, so we have to look at, it always comes back to a proper assessment first. Yep. I know that it doesn't always it depend on age per se. It depends on injury history. So someone could be 70 years old, but if they move really well and they're strong, I might not change the workout that much from a 35-year-old of similar goals and similar body type. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So it always boils down to a proper assessment. But knowing that as we age, we do lose power, proprioception, there's certain things we look for. So it's not so much age dependent as it is movement dependent. And like they're kind of not their biological age or actually not their chronological age, their biological age. How, how strong are they? I, I train a guy, Bob, golfer. He's 70 years old. He can do pull-ups. He cranked a driver the other day for 250 yards. So yeah. it's all relative to what work they've put in prior to come see to, to come see us. So it depends as we always say. It's kind of like their training age, right? So yeah. if, if that's way of putting it, if they're coming to you yeah. at, at age 70, if they've never trained before, that's very be different. The, it's very different than Bob. Who's been, I don't know. Most, He's always most, been most, fit. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. what I was thinking. Like not yeah, Training age or like sports age. Like somebody has been playing sports consistently yeah. for years and years. Like they're going to have a significant amount of wear and tear. And if it's the same sport, sure. Like, golf they're moving in the same patterns over and over again versus like a general population person who's like oh you know i'm just kind of you know run here and there like they're going to be like a fresh slate yeah versus this guy who's been you know tight low back tight hamstrings whatever from the same same patterns yeah the one thing we can't check for here is bone density so we do have to take that into account especially with female but male clients as well if they're older we can't really see their bone density unless they have brought that into us that information so we do have to be a little more conscious of like plyometrics and those type of things but again it comes down to an assessment the goal settings uh, consultation and just seeing how they move man if they move well mm-hmm. i don't hold them back it right. always boils down to their movement and sort of like what tj said their patterns in life if they don't have any pain like bob has no pain so it's kind of an open book we're still smart about our approach with him but it really does boil down to what you guys both said, which is the training age matters the most to me. And then if it's, you know, somebody that's just on sports performance, if it's a younger athlete, that's very new. We're going to work on movement patterns, movement literacy before we start to ramp up on the power output and all that fancy stuff that we can do with them. Yes. So you, (laughs) you, you mentioned sort of the post rehab and the sports performance, but one of our big approaches here at fit method with all our coaches is, is prehabilitation, right? Yep. So same concept, when we try to make someone faster, more powerful, in the course of that program, we try to make them more bulletproof to injury as well. So like getting strong hamstrings, for example, protects your ACL, but it also makes you run faster when you learn the technique of running. So it, we try to like integrate it where it makes sense for that individual, whether they're young, old, in between. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so post-rehabilitation component. The age does matter there. Yeah. Just because we know that, generally speaking, we can probably all agree that a 75-year-old is going to have a longer time to recuperate 
soreness-wise or just injury-wise than a 25-year-old or a 15-year-old. No doubt. So it does take, I, I have a more patient approach when it comes to post-rehabilitation, noted, noting that the tissue is going to be a little bit, you know, it takes longer. It, they need to have more recovery, even for me. When I was 20, I could work out every day, all day, and now I can't do that so much. So it does ch- change how I approach it from the patient's perspective of, of um, how I program it. Mm-hmm. I give them more breaks. And yeah, it does, when it comes to post-rehab more so, yeah. Well, yeah. And the mindset too. Oh, that, that's mm. what I was thinking. Yeah. Because like someone who's never gotten hurt before, like they, they're not going to be as afraid as somebody who's just like, oh, well, I blew out my knee this age, my shoulder, my back. Like they're just, they're all, they're going to be more adverse to like the pain and discomfort of like, yeah. oh, that doesn't feel good. So you have to be like kind of tread lightly with certain people versus others who are just like, ah, it's fine. Yeah, I mean, some people might have had five injuries in the past and their mindset is, oh, I'll be good and I've gone through this before. And then the other person will be at the same situation. Sure. And they're like, oh my gosh, like another injury. So it's like, where do you meet them? Yeah. With the mindset approach. Well, you've talked about in the past, which is very true. The the depth of knowledge and relationships that we have with our clients is huge because we kind of have to psychologically know where they are. Right. Some people, I have a client, you guys both know her, Debbie. Debbie has had a few injuries before her and I started working together, but she wants to be pushed, but smartly, yeah, <laughs> right? Because she wants to live a fit, active lifestyle and she travels quite a bit. And, and if God forbid she gets hurt in her shoulder and she has to go travel, she can't even function to put the luggage up. So we have to be like towing that line. So it depends on the individual's psychology big time. Yeah. And that's well, why we have to know them intimately. And with her, like specifically, it's fun to like watch you like just like plant a seed of like, oh, we'll work to that eventually. And then 20 minutes later in the session, she's like, all right, let's try it. <laughs> yes. You know, yeah. like yes. you just like use like the reverse psychology almost of like, hey, we're not quite there yet. And she's like, what do you mean? And she knows it. <laughs> she knows that I'm kind of not, not playing a mind game, but I'm definitely motivating her differently. Yeah, right. But she knows it, but she's cool with it. Right. There's a lot of trust that we build and the same with you guys and your clients. It's a very depth it's a deep relationship you have to it cannot be a surface level relationship because it's hard to kind of like what tj said i i can do that with debbie because i know her mentality it's it's emotional intelligence yes understanding that person well enough to know she's going to respond better to reverse psychology yeah 100 percent. versus other people it's like you know you present a challenge and they're like oh i'm not ready for that right so it's like you almost have to like like there's certain people you can't tell them to wait you know, you, if you tell them like, oh, there's a hundred pounds on the bar as an example, they're like, what a hundred pounds. That's so heavy. And you're like, you're fine. Like you're, it's nothing. <laughs> right. You know, versus, and then you tell them afterwards and they're like amazed, like, oh, I can't believe I lifted that. Like, yeah, like I know you can lift that. Right. Like it's just all, you know, like we're saying like in their head a lot of the times and just getting through that mental barrier that they've been telling themselves their whole lives. They're like, oh, I can't do this. I can't do that. I'm going to get hurt if I do this. Mm-hmm. And yeah. There's always a profound focus on programming, which there should be, right? The way you program exercises, what exercises you choose, how many reps, all those things, tempo, all that. But people don't talk enough about when it comes to post-rehab and performance in particular, but just in general, understanding your client, what makes them tick, what buttons can push on them, and how do we make them continue to improve in their strength, the mobility, and all those things, and not feel like they're sliding backwards or getting hurt. In, so in continuing to reassess. Like we're all where, where, where are we now? Where are we and now? And not just physically, mentally as well. It's yeah. incredibly important that you understand the psychology of training, which we're starting to understand more and more how important that is, right? Um, and I think our coaches here, like I always brag about them, but the coaches here are very good. Like Grant right now is working with a client out literally outside this door right now who he's done a phenomenal job with because he understands how to keep her motivated and, and moving forward. So it's huge. Yep. Yeah. All right. Moving on. Um, so this is more of a nutrition related question. So how does nutrition and recovery differ for younger athletes, adults, seniors engaged in sports and what are some key dietary and recovery strategies for each group? (laughs) Great question. I think you should take point on that one. All, uh, yeah, I'll start off. I I wrote some notes down. (laughs) So instead of doing it by group, I just did some universal strategies. So number one, Protein, obviously, is huge. Um, making sure we're getting protein with every meal. Uh, I, I typically recommend about shooting for about 30% of your daily calories coming from protein. We can get more specific with that. So, real quick, do you like that better than, like, the 0.75 to 1 gram per pound of body weight? I like both. Okay. <laughs> um, nor- normally, it, it, I, I kind of meet people halfway. 
Um, like if, if they're only getting, you know, a, th- a third of what their daily recommended protein is, I'll try and double that initially. Right. So then they're getting, you know, 67%. Right. And work them up to it. Work right. them up to it. Um, but as an example, like 2000 calories, let's say somebody's eating 2000 calories a day, that would be 150 grams of protein. And then if you spread that over three to four meals, you're, sh- you're probably getting like 40, 50 grams a meal, mm-hmm. something in that range. Um, number two, we know that protein demands increase with age. So for the 50 and older crowd, tr- really trying to hit that leucine threshold, which generally is about 35 grams in a meal, uh, why that is important. It stimulates mo- muscle protein synthesis. Mm-hmm. So if we're getting 20 grams of protein, we're not going to get the same benefit as getting a little bit more protein because it's not going to hit that threshold for us. Why is that important for older people? it's harder to maintain muscle mass as we age. Yeah. So they need to be eating more. Sometimes we can supplement with some liquid calories for protein if they're having a hard time eating that much. Number three is that protein is the most satiating food. So it's directly associated with lower body composition uh, as far as um, I talked about the muscle protein piece and lean muscle mass. Um, But it is because it's satiating for those that are trying to have a body composition change is easier to regulate their hunger and appetite cues. Uh, I would would pretty much always recommend at least three meals a day for people try and spread those out evenly um, upwards of four to five for athletes um, and obviously including some liquid in their digestion, trying to eat slower. We live in a very fast paced culture and uh, I think we could all do better eating a little slower uh, and then trying to go for a walk after each meal would help with digestion. They just showed it was in the, I think it was family journal of family medicine, uh, that doing three 10 minute walks a day after each meal was more effective than blood pressure medicine and, uh, insulin and metformin. It's awesome. So that that's just a really easy sure. lifestyle change. Um, this was from whoops own data. Uh, they recommend cutting out caffeine 10 hours before bed. 10 hours now. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was I like do. four or five. It used to be like six or seven, yeah. I think, but be- 10 makes sense. Because the half-life is five hours. Gotcha. So if you go to bed 10, can't have it past noon. Uh, yep. Yeah, that's not uh, bad. Well, <laughs> Why you have afternoon coffee? Today. <laughs> what time did you have caffeine today? Uh, I mean, I started it like drinking on energy drink around 1130. And then... Still had like about a quarter of it left after one. Okay. Okay. And then the the, s- the second one was no food or alcohol three hours before bed. Yeah. Uh, no screen time uh, t- two hours before bed, I believe it was. That's tough for a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. Most people are definitely on the screens before bed, myself yeah. included sometimes. Yeah. Bad so, habit. So blue light blocking. Yeah, of course. Helps with that. Yeah. The main reason for the food component is it's still going to be in your system, so it will affect the quality of your sleep. Got it. Yeah. And then uh, hydration status. So we know that every cell is made up of, flu- of a fluid matrix of water and electrolytes. So I just tell my any client that I work with, just monitor the color of your urine throughout the day. If it's really clear, you need more electrolytes. If it's really dark, you just, you just need more water. Um, and those were the main ones I had just from like a general yeah. health span. That's good to have yeah. sort of a guideline there. I think it's counterintuitive, or maybe not for us, but... If we looked at a young client compared to an older client, which one do you think on average is getting more protein just because they have a bigger appetite? The younger person. Yeah. yeah. So most people probably don't realize that as you get older, you need more protein, not less. Yeah. That's something that I see all the time. People don't think, oh, I don't eat as much. Yeah, you do. Just like what you said, sarcopenia is a real thing, right? Muscle loss. Yeah. So that makes sense that we have to actually eat more protein in our 50s and 40s than we do in our 20s. But most people don't do that. Yeah. Like proportionally. Proportionally to our body weight. Yeah. Yeah. That's well, interesting. Saying, like the older population, they're not <clears throat> like they didn't grow up in a time where like these nutrition things were right. prominent. So you tell them like, "Oh, you got to eat 150 grams of protein." They're like, what? "What? How do I? How do I even do that?" You know, like mathematically, like, "Oh, that's so much. That can't be healthy." This and that. I'm like, "Yeah." A lot of them do kind of flinch at it. Like, "That seems like a lot." You yeah. sure? I'm not a bodybuilder. I'm like, "No." But yeah, I always try to break muscle. it down to them. It's like, well, if you get 30 grams at each meal, yeah. three meals, you're at 90. Yep. Boom. And then yeah, maybe a shake protein here. shake oh. snack. You know, between breakfast and lunch and then between lunch and dinner that's another 40 to 50 yeah exactly but yeah just it's you know basically you're telling somebody to eat like 
the equivalent of like a pound and a half of steak a day. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And they're like, what? So it's part of its mindset too, yeah. I think. No, there is, yeah. like I said, it's kind of, well, my son's 20. He needs to eat more like more meat. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not that hungry. Yeah. Or isn't red meat bad for you? Like all that oh, type of stuff. Sure. Like, that's still sure. a, so it's like, you're, you got to combat all these different, which we're going to get to later is like the myths right. of like, yeah. One, one at a time, just like, well, no, actually, duh, 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 you can eat, you know, lean uh, chicken or turkey, whatever, you know. And then even worse if they're like vegan or vegetarian. Well, I mean, from a post-rehab perspective, because you had mentioned how that factors yeah. in, um, if you have higher protein and less carbohydrates, you're in a less inflammatory state as well, right? So yeah, right. it helps you heal, plus the amino acids and so forth helps you repair. So we're not just talking about looking good, which is important, but also getting... If you had surgery or an injury, it helps right. you recover quicker. Right. So it's better for body composition, better for an inflammatory response. It's better for really all ways, I think. So generally speaking, those seem to be good guidelines for athletes, non-athletes. Would you change that recommendation for an endurance athlete? There'd be some tweaks to that, right? Like, oh, no doubt. Yeah, of course. But that's just the basic. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. And then like from a recovery standpoint, obviously sleep would be huge. Massive. Um, most people aren't getting nearly enough. Um, it, there's, it's almost like a bragging thing. 100%. For, oh, I got five hours and I'm crushing it I'm today. I'm good, man. <laughs> I can function on five. I don't, I don't need six. Okay. <laughs> but we we just know cognitive decline, memory. Uh, if, I mean, you, there's no way you're getting into deep sleep and REM sleep on five hours. Yeah. Um, so even Whoop's own data, so the average Whoop user is getting eight hours of bedtime mm. and only averaging seven hours and 11 minutes of, of actual sleep. So they're in bed for eight hours. They're not sleeping all that. So maybe that's 90% sleep efficiency. It's still solid, though. I think just having that line of sight because of the Whoop. Because most people aren't sleeping that we know seven hours yeah. and the most. Like, well, that's average. That's so that means average for the Whoop people. 50%, yeah. 50% are below that. And Correct. Whoop users... Or mm -hmm. obviously they're going to be for cognizant of it and be like, oh, well, I want to improve my sleep. Right. That's why they're wearing it. Exactly. We have no affiliation with Whoop, but that's a huge, that's yeah. a good <laughs> advertisement for it right there. The fact that their average Whoop user is getting definitely more sleep than I think that our average client's getting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's awesome. So I just thought those were some pretty cool stats. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, number three, are there any specific exercises or training modalities that are particularly effective for enhancing sports performance in older individuals who may have different physical considerations. <laughs> so one. <laughs> one that is often ignored. And when you hear that question, people want to you know, get into mobility and all these things, which is important. But the biggest gap I see in the older populations that they can have the most sort of highest exponential improvement in is motor control is their ability to stabilize themselves. Because with that comes superior mobility as well. If you have better motor control. So taking them and improving their stability, where they walk, the way they stabilize on one leg, doing like a contralateral one-arm row, that type of thing, if they can get their motor control at a higher level, everything else becomes easier. So I would say, of course, strength is important, all those things, but the ability to stabilize themselves and get a better pattern of joint stability and mobility is how I make the biggest push with my older populations. And then on the sports performance side, I would say power. Like we lose it because we lose we it lose so power. fast. Yeah. Uh, yes. Put motor control first. Put motor control first. Yes. If I'm looking at the sort of... The hierarchy. Yeah, the, man. The, the, the priority. Motor control priority. first. If you can develop proper motor control and stronger glutes, stronger core, deep core, better scapular stable, like stability, I think you can create a better engine around that person. What do you think, Mr. Mentis? That's a good point. Yeah, I agree. I mean, like if you can't stabilize, then like you can't jump or be make explosive movement safely. Right. Because, like, how are you going to land? Right. How are you going to, you know. And, uh, <clears throat> I mean, like, being able to balance on one leg, if you think about, like, most sports involve running. Yep. So, running is only one foot's making contact on the ground at a time. So, you have to be able to stabilize all through the hip and all the way down. And if you can't balance on one leg, then why are you going to be taking off full speed like that? Or even, so, a, even a non-running sport like golf, yeah. which in a lot of golf here. Um, yeah. If they don't have the ability to stabilize they can take every golf lesson in the world, but they're not going to be able to shift the weight from the right to left leg. They're not going to have, so. And they're, they're going to be off balance on every swing. hundred percent. That's why they're so inconsistent. The way we create consistency is develop that motor control and then build around it from there. So we see that to me, especially he said, with, this is referring to older populations. Yes, it is. Yeah. Young, young populations too. 
Yeah. But the older population in particular, they need that from a safety perspective. What do we see as the decline for older, like much older populations? They lose their balance. Yep. Their right. bone density is less than it used to be. And so what's that pattern? They fall and they break their hip. Yep. We yep. see that all the time. We're very big in our approach here at Fit Method to like break that cycle. If you have stronger bones and you're just stronger in general, yep. and you have better balance and better proprioception and better motor control, man, you're going to be a lot better than your peers who are falling all over the place. Right. So that's a big part of our approach at, at any age, but especially with older populations. We're, yeah. we're creating a blue zone here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would love to, man. You know, we want older clients who can move well, who are mobile. I know Mentis works a lot of mobility because that's what, one of his specialties, rightfully so. Um, I want clients who can, at 80 years old, touch their toes, do a deep squat, maybe do a pull-up, right? Do a single leg RDL. I mean, I want them to, to move like they're 25 years old. Not like, So we don't put them on a machine. Yeah. There was a recent post by a, a, a facility not too far from here bragging yeah. about their machines, oh, how they yeah. have the best machines in town. And I was like, I'd never put that in my post. We have the best coaches in town. Yeah. Right. There's a difference. Yeah. <laughs> but we're not putting people on leg press. And and, and there's nothing wrong with machines right. inherently. There's a time and a place for it. But like that, sh if that's like your main, your main way of strengthening yes. the lower body, like I believe like kind of like what you were alluding to is you should be able to move your own body weight well in all yeah. the different ways, pushing, pulling, squatting, yeah. hinging. If you can't do that, then why am I going to have you go on a machine? Like, cause if you're home by yourself as an elderly person, you right. fall, how are you going to get yourself back up off the ground? Yeah. That's They're, what we want. Right. So nothing wrong with machines inherently, but I would yeah. never brag on machines as our differentiating factor. Here. Yes. Our differentiating factor They're is luxury. our coaches. Yeah. 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 We don't use them often. Right. Yeah. Number four, for those who have undergone rehabilitation, so surgery, rehab, what are some key steps to safely transition them back into sports and physical activities without avoiding any setbacks? As much as I love that question to take my point on myself, I'll let one of you guys take point, so I'm not taking point on this one. That's an excellent I'll, question. I'll let TJ start, uh, and then I'll, 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 chime, I'll chime in. Uh, well, yeah, so my first thought is... Like as they're, as they're getting back into sports, it's it's managing like the the work volume right and like allowing them to continue to recover well. Because a lot of times, what happens with at, like athletes, especially, you know, they're competitive and they just want to do the thing they love, is like, oh, I feel good, my knee feels better, my back feels better, whatever. I can go back to doing what I was just doing pre-injury, and they want to go back to like let's say playing a, a whole game sure. of something, and it's that's not necessarily going to work for most people. Like that's what's going to cause a setback is you skipping those steps rather than like, uh, let's say playing like one or 20 minutes of tennis to start off. All right. And then we, you know, increase it a little bit, a little bit, a little bit by week. So your body can adapt to the increase of volume and then building up that confidence too in your body. Yep. Um, cause it's, I mean, I've done it to myself so many times with like lifting of just like, Oh, I feel good. Now let's lift heavy. And it's like, but I haven't, my joints, my tendons, my ligaments, they're not used to lifting heavy because we haven't done it in months, let's say. Right. And yeah, you're just asking, asking for like a setback. And then in addition to that, with like <clears throat> with the recovery, I think a big thing is like the soft tissue work. So like when, when you get hurt and you go through like the post rehab and all like, you know, you get in, in a groove doing like the same like rehab type exercises, but then once you start feeling better, people sometimes like push it to the side and like, Oh, Stop I don't need to do it anymore. Yeah. Yep. When it's like, no, 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 that should be, you know, your maintenance to some level. You don't necessarily have to like spend as much time on it, but right. you should still be doing the things that got you to feeling good. Right. <laughs> up until like, or not up until, but like at least until you're a hundred percent of like your sports conditioning that you were at previous to injury. Cause if you're not back to that point anymore, then you're, you're, you shouldn't be neglecting these things. Like you're still not fully recovered. And even when you are recovered, you're still always tapped back to all right, like almost like a reassessment, you know, with your mobility and make sure that you're still working on improving your movements and not just getting complacent. Nice. No, I agree with a lot of that. I was, I was going to say we interviewed uh, Dr. Corey next uh -huh. door and he had us, we, we actually asked him a similar question and I think it was related to ACL. Uh, I'd have to go back and listen to it again, his exact answer, but I know he said there were like three main things uh, if somebody's ready to return from an ACL, um, and I know two of those were quad quad strength, and the second one was mindset. Mindset's a huge part of it. Mindset was like a, literally a third. There's a fear with, with an injury that intensive. Um, there's a fear, and so they play hesitantly, and that's a problem as well. You exactly. have to play full. So you have to build confidence 
coming out of surgery, coming, working with a great physical therapist or chiropractor next door, somebody like that. And then I would also add, like, from our perspective, having a good relationship with them enough to know how, how much can we push them in the beginning? Cause if it's somebody new that we don't have a relationship with sure, saying, Hey, Corey, how does this person respond uh, to training? Yeah. Or, you know, what's their background? And, and that obviously is going to be assessed in the beginning in the consultation We would make process. that relationship happen as well. Yeah. Um, it always boils down to trying to identify what muscular imbalances are present. Even though we know they had a sur- uh, surgery or an injury, we still want to come from our side. So like if I still see that they have very weak glutes and hamstrings, right. I have to figure out, and Ernest has those power plates, those yep. force plates, mm-hmm. which show like when they jump, if one side is favoring the other. I love that kind of data because it shows you like, okay, you had a knee injury because someone impacted you while you were trying to cut playing soccer. Very common. But how do we look at this athlete and figure out how do we make this person less likely to get that injury again? And we know that if we have very strong glutes, very strong hamstrings, good hip mobility, and a good strong core that really helps avoid a lot of knee issues right yep. we, we can never make injuries happen it's part of sports but we can limit that so identifying the imbalances and then programming them systematically which is kind of the same for everybody but it's not right what would you guys want to see for example let's say the same soccer player we'll just have a conversation here before you allow that person to cut and sprint and like with Colin you guys remember Colin Mumford mm-hmm. so he's back to full strength and we went through that he saw Brittany after his, he tore his ACL and I helped do the post rehab and sports performance with him what are you guys looking for to know that that person can go play soccer coach David can I go play soccer tomorrow my buddies want me to go kick the ball around with them there's gonna be some light contact what are you looking for before you give them the thumbs up on that I'd look at single leg stability and Big strength time. um I, I might do some light plyometrics, like, like, like some lateral bounds, forward bounds, maybe some depth jumps and see how his knee responds. It was yeah. his knee or ankle. I can't remember. It was his ACL. It was yeah. ACL. Yeah. Um, change of direction. Yeah. Change of direction for sure. Yeah. Uh, confidence. hundred percent. Power output. Can he jump? Right. Exactly. Can that's he jump? What, that's Can he decelerate? Cause a lot of injuries happen when they decelerate. So like you said, the ability to do a lateral bound and land correctly. Can he do a side shuffle, reaccelerate. If you push your, push him while he's decelerating, does he is he able to stabilize? I want to see like that because I don't want him to go out there and have a false sense of security, like TJ said. And all of a sudden, his knee feels great, but it's not quite there. Mm. Yeah. So and like you said, playing tentative, like that's no, it's not good. good. It's not good because you're playing, you're holding back, then you're coming up short, and yeah. like you're I'd not following through with your with your yeah. cuts or whatever. So I'd also want to know what kind of surface he's playing on. Hundred percent. Because if he's playing on grass, I'd be more likely to recommend that he goes back versus turf just based on all the injuries we're seeing on at, uh, artificial turf now. Yeah. And so it, it the timeline tends to be the, the, the I have to understand surgeons are very cautious because of insurance and, and that's okay, right? I don't care. It's going to be a year before you play again. And we try to hold true to that. We're not going to overstep the bounds of what a surgeon says. However, the PT says they're good and we think they're good. We do help coach them. So Colin came back faster than anticipated just because you know what I mean? Yeah. But we have to be able to understand, like, I know. So the first, like, let's say month, him and I started working together. Eventually, I had him doing leg cycles again. You guys have seen me doing leg cycles with clients, and you guys do them sometimes as well. Um, But, man, we hammered his hamstrings into oblivion. When I knew his quads were the same size almost, and I could see the tear drop in his VMO, when I knew his hammies were strong, he could do a single leg hamstring curl on the TRX with mm-hmm. power, and he could do, like, a single leg bound, and he had strong glutes. He was single leg RDLing 100 pounds. When I knew he was there, then we started to push. But he had to show me that motor control like once again and exactly. a lot of strength and control before we got into the more dynamic movement. But that's kind of what we do here differently is that we kind of understand the nature of injuries and how to prevent them from happening again. And so we work in conjunction with the PTs to try to... So yeah, that's um that's how I approach that whole thing. Yeah, no, I think it was good. Uh, so number five, what are, <coughs> excuse me, what are some common misconceptions or myths about sports performance and post rehab that you would frequently encounter and how can they be debunked? Well, to start, I mean like all the myths about lifting essentially, um, like, so females are always worried about getting too bulky from lifting weights. Uh, people are concerned about with like children or teens, that's going to stunt their growth. And then the, the other one I had written down, well, like sometimes people will say like lifting makes you slow, you know, like speed coaches and things like that will be, you know, they don't want you to lift too heavy. Um, 
So it's like all those, those miss, but like building strength through resistance training is super important in the post rehab, right? Like we're talking about all the building stability, deeper core strength, um, glute strength. I mean, you know, Gary has mentioned RDLs and, you know, exercises like that. And yeah, I mean, we are well past the, uh, the, the day when it's, we should, you know, be scared of dumbbells and barbells and kettlebells. Like, I mean, when used safely with proper form training, all that, you know, like that's one of the best ways to become, you know, more athletic. Mm -hmm. Um, so that, um, the other one, uh, that have that super important, I think is like when some, when some athletes get in the mindset of they have to go hundred percent all the time, Mm -hmm. every day, every training session, I I should be, you know, trashed by the end of it. And, but like, if you do that every (laughs) single day, your ability to recover is just going down and down and down. Which means what for injury perspective? You're being more susceptible to injury. Absolutely. And then if you're in the post rehab, obviously that's (laughs) even worse because (laughs) you might not even your whatever injury you're healing might not be at a hundred percent yet. Yeah. And then, you know, eventually something's going to give, you know, if I tell my clients this all the time, like if you don't give yourself the proper rest and re- recovery, eventually your body's going to tell you to stop in one way or another. hundred percent. It always so, wins at the end of the day. The body always wins. Yeah. So those are like the two main ones uh, that came to mind was between people being, you know, apprehensive about lifting for various misconceptions. And then that too, just like knowing when to, when to go all out. I think it's something like, only 10 to 20% of the time should you really be going like, and 20% is probably a lot. Yeah. If we're being honest, like if you're doing like legit sprint work, you can't do that every single day. Yep. You know, that's safe for maybe like one training session a day. And even that it's a small window. You're not doing sprint work for a whole hour. Right. You're not max lifting for a whole hour. It's, you know, it, you build up to it throughout the course of weeks and it, you know, you're trying to peak at the right time versus, Oh, I need to be in peak strength and performance every single day like that's just it's not possible there was a mindset coach on instagram that posted a um, this relates to what you were just talking about he he looked at an olympian and the olympian measured his training sessions over like a course of three or four years it was either bad good or great mm-hmm. and only like five ten percent maybe were great mm-hmm. and like 80 percent were good mm-hmm. so that just goes to yeah. show like as long as you're doing the grunt work. I mean, it's right. going to be monotonous and boring at times. Right. <laughs> like yeah. you, you don't have to be switching up your workouts every sure. 30 seconds. Right. Yeah. You're not going to like Usain Bolt's <laughs> not running record breaking times every time he's training. Right. He saves it for when it's necessary, when you're actually playing the game, when you're in the tournament, the playoffs, the championship game, whatever, like that's what you're peaking towards. Well, and adding to that, it's like, Younger athletes, I think we tend to see this. I know with one particular uh-huh. that comes to mind yeah. is testing versus training. Sure. Like you should not be max testing every, every time week. You, no, 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 no. <laughs> like <Yeah>. that's a <laughs> horrible idea, generally speaking, yeah. right? And you might be able to get away with it when you're 16 just because of hormones sure. and all that. But eventually, like, and I try, that's why I try to like tell these teens that I work with, I'm like, you feel good now, but like just trust me, this is the stuff I wish I knew when I was your age. It's right. like, you can only do it for so long. And you also don't have the knowledge that we have to know when it's okay. And like, you know, how, how you're moving and like what you may or may not be doing wrong. It's just like, Oh, this is great. I hit a PR today. But like, if you know, one of us analyzes the video or like, you should not have lifted that weight. Right. right. You know, like there's so many things out of place there. Well, I saw one of the videos and it didn't yeah. end well at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like to come from the perspective of sport specificity. So, for example, if I hear online or I read somebody is a golf fitness specialist, the myth sometimes is like if you thought of a, if, if you think of golf fitness, what do you guys think of? What are, what are some moves that you see often with a golf fitness guy on YouTube or who's trying to market himself or herself? Well, a lot of rotation. Wood yeah. chops, all rotation. Right. That's not necessarily golf fitness. When I look at a sports specific session over, let's, let's say our average session here is an hour, maybe 15 minutes of that hour is quote unquote sports specific. The general strength, like if you're a tennis player and you can do a really good lateral lunge with a sliding disc, that's a good 
right? It's not necessarily sports specific. It's not a tennis movement, yet it's building that inner thigh strength, that adductor strength that most tennis players lack. So yep. a lot of it is universal movements, right? It's right. not this whole, like you said, it's all golf fitness. He's doing a wood chopper. He's doing a wood chopper with a dumbbell. He's doing a medicine ball wood chopper. He's doing a wood chopper <laughs> with a band. He's whatever, right? It's all like wood choppers. It's planks. It's core the whole time. It's, there should be a general strength component to that right. session with a little bit of integrated sports specificity. So when training a soccer player, now it depends. If this is an off-season athlete training five days a week, then by all means, I might have one of those days where it's just like speed training, for example, for the entire hour with sure. little rest in between. But generally speaking, if you're seeing someone two, three times a week, it's sports-specific is not what people think it is, is my point. Right. You need to have no, a general a strength and control component. The same way we would with a general fitness client. We still have certain goals with the general fitness client, and we just dial that in a little bit more for a tennis player or a lacrosse player or whatever. And we also factor into that their injury history. Yep. So if we know you're a lacrosse player, but you've had an ACL injury, man, I'm going to crush your glutes and hamstrings and, and get you really strong in your core to, to, to try to prevent that injury from happening again. So the myth tends to be like that whole thing. Like, what does that mean? Yeah. Are you a skills coach? Right. Are you, but what do we do? <laughs> like, are you, you're a soccer fitness guy. What does that mean? I see a lot of guys who do soccer fitness and they just have them on the ladder. And they're doing drills with a soccer ball. So you're like a soccer skills coach then. Right. That's different. You're not an actual strength and conditioning coach. Right. That's right. what we do here. We're strength and conditioning. It's a little bit different. Yeah. Well, and like also if you have a specific like rotational sport like that, yeah. like tennis, baseball, golf. All right. They're doing rotation all the time. Exactly. Already all the time. Exactly. And so you're just like exacerbating <laughs> their imbalances. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. Nope. It's like they're getting plenty of rotation in their sport. Yep. So you, know, you got to work those other muscles. Agreed. Um, but that's part yeah. of the myth. That's definitely a myth. Like it's kind of the approach is the myth itself, I guess. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Um, Oh, the one thing I thought of too, in regards to post rehab for a myth was, you know, a lot of times you hear people, you know, doctors especially tell them not to hate on doctors, but I mean, I think they want people to be more cautious like for orthopedic sure. Orthopedic surgeons and stuff. Yeah. Where yeah. it's like after surgery, Oh, you'll never be able to do this again. Yeah. You I, soldier's shoulder surgery. Yeah. You shouldn't do any overhead movements. You, knee surgery oh i would avoid squatting like all this stuff that people are told and it's like i mean with in our eyes with the proper training you know there's not really too many limitations obviously if you have like a back fusion surgery certainly you know things like that even there's going to be limited movements but even like of you just can't move physically with certain types of surgeries but if you have shoulder replacement you can still move in the full range of motion like yep. if you're training it properly like, it'll take time but yeah. you should aspire to full range you shouldn't right. aspire to some kind of yeah. demotivational like well you know what tj you had yeah. shoulders or you should never put something up in the shelf in your kitchen again yeah and Get like a ladder. Live in fear for the rest of your life live like, in oh, fear. You, you can't squat anymore like so how are you getting down on the toilet right <laughs> like, exactly <it's> true <laughs> like the most basic thing we do every day you know like why yeah, it's just that's Keep getting in and out of your car. Yeah, that's yeah. one of the things that bugs me is like when they like because why would you even put that thought in someone's head? Obviously, don't tell them like, oh yeah, you know, go, you know, you know, like be realistic with them, but also like, hey, like if you get the right training, if you see the right people and learn, like there's yeah, there's not really much limit to what you can do because part seen, of that comes from the legal environment though. The legal environment. Well, yeah. If you're a surgeon and I, you know what my surgeon said, like I, I, he told me I could reach. Up. Right. And I did, and I tore my rotator cuff. Now I'm yeah. going to sue him for all he's got. So I right. think, unfortunately, realistically, the legal environment is why surgeons, which gives us more, not that we have leeway, we can yeah. they can sue us too, theoretically, <laughs> but but we kind of see them on a daily basis yeah. or a semi-daily basis, so we can kind of guide them, whereas a surgeon sees them once every six months or once yeah. every year. We can help guide them up the mountain, like the Sherpas over in Mount Everest. That's what I consider ourselves, like little <laughs> fit, fitness Sherpas, man. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. All right, last one, number six. Can you provide any examples of a success story where individuals have achieved remarkable sports performance results through a combination of post-rehab re, post and targeted training? Sports performance, or can it just be someone who's able to move in a way that they... It could be any 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 success story. So I think we all have ours to share. Uh, so I spoke about Bob Kitchen. Yep. He was actually on our Instagram recently doing pull-ups at seven years old. Yep. He's driving the ball 250 yards. Um, he moves pain-free. It's incredible to see what he can do, and he's strong. Yep. I mean, the guy is incredibly fit. He's out there playing golf. His balance is excellent. He's doing lateral bounce. He's doing plyometrics. You'd say, oh, he's 70. He shouldn't be. No, he's ready for it. Granted, we've been together for six years. And another, not so much sports performance, but just movement is Debbie. Yep. Debbie is, when I started with Debbie, 
back at a previous employer who shall remain unnamed. Um, she couldn't reach her arm this high. Her, she has rotator cuff issues. For those not she, in yeah, the room. Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. Couldn't reach above her head. Yeah, above her shoulder. Or, yeah, like my hand is a, Chin height, basically. Chin height, yeah. Sorry, thanks for the... <laughs> I'm like this high. Oh. She couldn't... You know, her, her knee was hurt and her back was fused. So her ability to, to hinge was... Like a deadlift was out of the equation. Now, she can reach overhead fully. Does she still have to be careful? Sure. But the fact that she has full shoulder mobility, even with weights, she can overhead press now, which, like, to your point, they said she could never do that again. Mm-hmm. Doctor said, you have to get spine surgery. You won't be able to walk. Well, sure enough, she's deadlifting. She's walking. She's doing box jumps, which is not my favorite exercise. But for her, like you said earlier, it's for overcoming fear, right? Right. Um, so those are two examples of people who were told, well, one of them was never told anything, but he just is defying his age. Yeah. The guy moves like he's 30. It's incredible. I tell them all the time, like, when I grow up, I want to be <laughs> just like you, even though I'm grown up already. And then Debbie is more of a, like a functional, she travels, she can move, she can reach up and put the luggage in the overhead bin. She's able to live her she's life. She's carrying babies. She's carrying, daughters. yeah, she's carrying babies, bouncing babies, lifting them up overhead. She couldn't have fathomed that five or six years ago. So those little wins are, end up being pretty big wins. I know you had yeah. a couple of guys. Well, like, imagine guy. if she wasn't able to do that with right. babies, right? Like, because a couple of years ago, her yeah. daughters didn't have kids. No, now yeah. they do. And like just how much more joy that how gets to compromised bring her. would her reality yeah. be if she couldn't do those things? For sure, it would change her whole. What would she do? So I know you had a good example too. You mentioned to me earlier. Yeah. So there's a kid I trained, and like I didn't work with him a ton one on one. I ended up doing a lot of programming for him. But basically, to give some context, like I met him, and basically his parents were like, "Hey, I want you to meet with our son. Like we don't know what to do. He broke his leg in like a, a dirt bike accident. Oh wow! Right, and he was like a very good. He was 16, very good lacrosse player before that. Like had potential to play in college, broke his leg and basically like lost a whole season, all this. And they said basically like the injury, like he was fine, but like it had kind of like the bone had like kind of stopped healing and kid had no motivation whatsoever. So like with him, it was, it was about not necessarily, well, the physical part, but also like him overcoming the fear of injury and also like getting like his spark or his fire back. Cause he had none. Like I met with a kid and we sat down and I didn't really know what I was going to do for him, to be honest. <laughs> like, when we first met, I was like, all right, we'll see. And as he's describing, he's like, yeah, I just, like, I don't want to do anything. It sucks. Like, I lost the thing that I love most, that mm-hmm. I was really good at. And, yeah, just instinctually, I'm like, all right, well, you used to lift a lot. It's perfectly safe for you. Like, deadlift was the first thing in my mind because I knew we could, like, load him up, relatively speaking, compared to anything else. And, like, let's just get you to, like, lift again and just, like, feel what, like, what it's like to work at hard. And, like, in that first session, like, I just, you know, constantly asking, like, hey, does that feel good? Like, how's your leg? You know, all that. And, like, we ended up, like, working up to, like, relatively heavy weight, especially compared to what you've been doing for the past few months. I wouldn't advise everybody doing this. It was just, like, an instinctual thing. Mm-hmm. And, like, as we were going, you just saw, like, the, the like, light light bulb, like, turn up in his eyes. It's just awesome. like, oh, I can still do this. Like, hey, there's still, like, I can get better from this thing. And then cut two. Like I said, like I ended up like work with him a few times, like one-on-one and then end up like uh, writing and programming. And so I was checking in on him for like the next like three, four or five months. Uh, and then we, for, I can't remember why, I think his parents just needed like save money or something. So he didn't really work with me much after that. But then cut to like a year later, he comes up to me in the gym and was like, Hey, like, I just want to thank you. Cause I have a scholarship now for like lacrosse, like Dude. the whole, but the kid that I met initially, like that was not a possibility. Yeah. Yeah. But he just had to see, like, for himself, it's like, oh, like, you know, getting over that fear, getting over the mental aspect, which, like you mentioned before, is, like, the number two, according to... um, Yeah, Dr. Corey. Dr. Corey. But to me, I mean, it's almost, like, it's number one. Like, if you don't believe you can do something, it doesn't matter how good the programming is, even the trainer... Well, I mean, a good trainer should help you get there mentally. But, like, still, like, you can be around the best people, but if you can't believe it for yourself what's possible yep. you're always going to be stuck in that state of like well i'm injury prone i'm hurt you know this sucks you what's know that so em- it's-, it's that emily dickinson quote about hope you provide hope and hope is like the way it carries the, i forget how she says it but you know the poet yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Emily, she says yeah. basically that hope it carries the wings on the window whatever basically hope provides you give him hope you give yeah. the kid hope and that is more profound than and lifting any kind of weight that the hope is intent. Yeah, that's incredible like give yeah. them that, that belief in belief. themselves again it's like oh yeah that's incredible man so and i don't know i just 
that's like one of my most proud moments as a trainer because I feel like most people would have been like, they would have like done more uh, like mobility type yes. thing like initially wow. and like not recognize like there's like nothing wrong with this kid. I mean, like, yes, obviously there the injury, but like mentally was the most important thing. It didn't matter what you did to him. Like he needed to actually like feel, you know, that confidence again. Absolutely. You can't handle with kid gloves too much, right? We handle with care, but not with kid gloves. We're not, these are not frail. Yeah. We're, they're human. They're resilient. And so you have to kind of, we toe the line a little bit. Yep. That's, I will say that for TJ, he's very experienced. One of the hardest things we see with new coaches is the inability to do that. Correct. Yeah. And yeah. I really wouldn't want them to, right? They don't know right. that intuition. You know, we talk about exercise science all the time. The exercise art is equally important. Mm -hmm. And that's being able to see that and say, okay, on paper, it doesn't make sense to do deadlifts, but I met the kid. Deadlifts are exactly what he needs. And so that... Well, not necessarily deadlift specifically. No, it's like but he, yeah. needed, he needed to, to lift work weights. hard. Yes, he needed and to like feel not just, exert. Yeah, like specifically yeah. he needed to feel like pushing against something. Right. He didn't want to just be doing mobility work and like... Because he'd know. been sitting on a couch for yeah. months, yeah. like not doing he anything. He feel that fire yeah. again, man. How about you, D? D yeah, yeah, first one came to mind was Jamie. Um, sure. I've been working with him for a little over two years. So when I first met with him, I remember, I'll never forget that day. He said he wanted to feel like a collegiate athlete again. Great. And I think right now he would tell you he probably feels like 30 year old and he's, you know, 62, 63, somewhere, awesome. somewhere in that range. But it, the hardest thing for him was he was playing a ton of tennis and his hips were always bothering him. So we opened, I did a lot of AIS with him for that first year, opened his hips up, strengthened the hips, strengthened the glutes, hamstrings. And he said his hips have never felt like he said, I probably added 10 or 15 years to his hips. Awesome. Just in those. And, um, so he's he's playing every sport now. Has no, really no orthopedic issues anymore. Um, so I don't know. It's just it's been patience and working around his crazy schedule. Um, he's a C-suite executive, so he's got a lot of demands for his sure. time. But he is intentional about seeing me three times a week, even if he's traveling. We'll make it up on the weekend, you know, in the evening. Um, so I don't know. He's just like one of the most disciplined people I've worked with. And as we all know, those you know, more entrepreneur does those types, they make an effort and they don't just talk a big game. They actually <laughs> deliver and he played collegiate sports. Yeah. So seeing his, seeing his kids play collegiate sports, I guess kind of starting to reignite that, that young fire in him again. Yeah, yeah. Um, Cause his son, I think it was at their uh, graduation party. They did like a, free throw contest or three point contest. And he, I think he ended up winning. <laughs> Jamie did. Yeah. That's awesome. So you beat the young guys. Yeah. So awesome. it's like those little things are kind of like reigniting that drive again. So it's like, whatever, what, what you got to meet the person where they're at, but also like, okay, that's a good goal. We might not get to 21, but maybe we can get to, you know, early thirties or we'll, we'll gradually yeah. work on it. Do you notice how none of us said they, even though this is important stuff, we didn't talk about their body composition that they'd lost 10% body fat. Everybody had a similar concept of providing hope to that person. Your client, my client, your client. They're able to do things they couldn't do before. Yes, body composition is important. Don't get me wrong. It's very important. But it's giving them the hope to move and to be able to live the most fulfilling, active life they can. If we can provide that and preventing injury and all that stuff. It, when we talk about post rehab, I know we push that all the time here in sports performance. It sounds almost superficial. Yeah. But when you talk about it the way we just did, it's quality of life. My client can lift her grandkid overhead. Your client got a college scholarship to play a sport he loved that he think he thought he couldn't play again. Your client is beating people in free throws and his hips feel. You know what I mean? Like yeah. You might have saved him from hip replacements. So it's like that's a profound thing, and that that's what post rehab and sports performance really offers us. Is yes the depth of knowledge has to be a little bit more than quote unquote regular training. But man, the outcome is, is pretty profound as well. Yep. Yeah. Just removing like basically any mental or physical limitation. Like if they want to do something, they're 70 and want to start playing pickleball. Cause that's the new activity for everybody. They can be like, all right, I'm going to go do this. Yeah. The limitations become less. Yep. Just talking about this is getting me hyped. I like, know. <laughs> I almost <laughs> forgot that I was a coach. I'm like, yeah. I need to go do this. But then I've do, been doing this for 15 years now. But like, I want to, you know what I mean? Like, it yeah. gets me hyped. Because <laughs> look what we're doing for people, man. What a what a blessing that God yeah. gives us the opportunity to help people. It's so much less superficial than most people realize. Yeah, right. Well, I think it's easy training day to day to sometimes like, yeah. you know, like there's not, you, you're not going to make a big jump from one day, yeah. one day to the next, or even from one week to the next, yeah. but it's seeing that like zoom out of, all right, I started with this person six months ago. Yeah. 
oh yeah, like they're, you know, doing this stuff that initially like they couldn't do box jumps that first day. They could probably maybe barely even squat that first day. And then now look at them. So I think, yeah, it's easy to get caught up in the monotony. But then when we talk about these like success stories, it, you know, kind of reminds you of like why we started and also like the bigger picture of, yeah, it's not just the, the counting reps day to day, the, you know, the same, like, you know, we tend to use the same exercises over and over. Somewhat. Somewhat, but like, you know, like variations. Yeah. 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 But you're right. It's it's easy to just like get caught up in that and then be like, oh yeah, there's the, the bigger why. The bigger why. I think that's one something we need to talk about more because uh, we 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 are able to do that here. Yeah. And that's why we have the clientele that we have. We have, in my opinion, the absolute best clients, and they're starting to get to know each other too, which is great to see the culture here. Absolutely. Um, but man, what a blessing! It's awesome. Yeah, and the culture we're establishing with Carolina Sports Clinic and expanding into South Park. Expanding. So. What a month! What a few months it's been. It's the end of September, but to see this place get to where it's at now, um, year and a half in. A year and a half in. My parents will be coming to visit next week. Oh, nice. They haven't been here since the grand opening. Yeah, I haven't seen them. No, <laughs> yeah. I seen no them. yeah. So just think about That's that. Awesome. Like in a year and a half, even for them, it's like, because, you know, we opened, we had the one squat rack. Just yeah. to see us build to where we are now. We have a cleaning staff coming in now. Again, <laughs> fancy, man. So uh, grateful to God for, for all of it and looking forward to any coaches out there who um, either are new to coaching, who want to kind of get mentored, it, contact us for sure. Absolutely. And any established coaches who looking for a place with a great culture yep. where they can come do their own thing as an independent contractor and run their own business, they can reach out as well. Yeah. Highly recommend it. If, if y'all know anybody that lives near South Park that's looking for a place to train. We're going to need those coaches <laughs> soon enough. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, guys, that was it for September Q&A and uh, we'll catch you again soon. Thanks, Thanks guys. See ya.